is Nick Gibson. You're listening to the Engage Number Podcast. My guest today is Luke Malik. Luke is a uh, member or, or constant attender yes. here at High Point Church. Upcoming and, member. Yeah, he and I had a, our conversation about what we're going to talk about today, and I wanted to have him on the podcast. He's articulate and um, the kind of person I want you to hear from on this subject. Luke is single, and we're going to talk a little bit about singleness in the church and so mm-hmm. on. So, Luke, but first, let's introduce you hear a little bit more from you can you sure. give us like a little rundown how old are you uh, how'd you find your way to madison that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. the gist of the gist of this so i uh, yeah my name's luke um thanks for having me on the podcast by the way it's it's yeah, great to be here um yeah so found my way to madison i was originally uh, going to pharmacy school down at, at uh, purdue in indiana um was looking for a residency programs meritor hospital had a great one so joined them did residency up here for a couple of years uh now i'm hired on working at that hospital and uh, found my way to High Point basically through the volleyball uh, that's done here on Tuesday nights as well as a group of friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just really connected with the community well, um, connected with the teaching well. Um, and now I'm here. So you got through farming school, so in internship, so middle to late 20s? Yep. Oh yeah, age eight. Uh, I'm 27. Okay. Then I'd be 28 this and year. And oh, you're man. a believing Christian? Yes. Well, yep. want to tell us a little bit about like a, t- t- a version of your testimony? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Testimony in brief would be basically, I uh, grew up in a, a somewhat Christian household. Um, certainly had exposure, but not necessarily practicing Christians. Um, Is this like Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Bible uh, non-denominational? Okay. Yep. Kind of like your standard. Yeah, yeah. Non-denominational churches have been long enough to have nominal youth. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, largely non-denominational growing up and then, you know, grandma, uh, kind of came in and, and really exposed me to a lot of like, what does following Christ really mean? Um, and through several uh, familial marriages and divorces and whatnot, I uh, ultimately uh, came to learn more about Christ and what it means to follow him through some of my like, parental units that have come in and out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it, uh, God is good. It stuck and uh, went to college, got involved with crew there and have kind of been aiming to follow God ever since. So yeah. at Iowa at, uh, Indiana. Yep. Oh, Purdue. Indiana. Okay. Sorry. Yep. And so, okay. So your parents did not manage to stay together in your youth. They did not. Yeah. Around uh, age five, they okay. split up. And yep. were they close by to each other? Or were they like, yeah, they actually currently live just like five to 10 minutes away from each other. So, okay. so you were very easy to stay, but you were living in two homes. Yep. Exactly. Okay. And did your parents remarry? Uh, they have. They've both remarried uh, twice. So now oh, they are okay. on marriage three. They're all marriage each of three. Them. Third time's a charm, as they say. Hopefully, yeah, it right? uh, seems to be that way. These have stuck around longer than the previous ones. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, great. So um, so there's uh, another dynamic that you're open about and wanted to share on this. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So in terms of um, like same-sex attraction yeah. and history there. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I have struggled with same-sex attraction uh, for obviously the, the majority of my life, whatever that is, maybe half, I don't know. And uh, that's really... So yeah, say something about that. So so did, did you feel like attracted to men like as soon as you felt attractions and that this uh, I, is something you know, that was predominant throughout your youth? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I think there's a large period, interestingly enough, where I would have considered myself asexual um, and maybe even would someone argue that today um it's a little gray and there's always a spectrum right so fair enough but um yeah same sense attraction was basically kind of always the thing there wasn't ever like heterosexuality as a part of my life um and i think that has certainly shaped how i view relationships as have these familial experiences um and then as has the fact that being a christian i don't pursue these things 
right? Yeah. And I think over the years I've become very comfortable with that and I'm, I'm very okay with that. Um, but then that also shapes how I view my current relationships, my friendships, my familial relationships, and how I want to advocate for people who are single in the church mm-hmm. um, and advocate for healthy romantic relationships yeah. um, and really advocate for um, a, a family, like a spiritual family that is the body of Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, my, the reason I had you bring this up now is I expect this to be woven in and out throughout the stuff we talk about. And I just want Certainly. our audience to know about it so they, so they are comfortable with they they just they know the parameters here right so, yeah yeah okay so you came into the church so let's do this a little bit experientially first and then doctrinally okay sure so you've so you've been walking through the church as a single person for a bit some time right? for some time yeah and you have had some experiences about this do you want why don't you talk a little bit about just like stuff you've perceived stuff you hear from people pretty consistently sure. what's some of the stuff that it, that you you might not know if you hadn't been single for a decade in the church yeah yeah that, those are those are really good questions and there's, there's definitely been a lot that I think I see a little bit differently than people who are able to experience and are able to pursue romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. I think one of those things is it is kind of a stereotype or a trope that people who um, find a significant other, right, kind of fall off the face of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not always true, not by any means, but it, it certainly is true at times. Um, and I think that does certainly speak to uh, an overemphasis on these romantic relationships relative to other relationships and other focuses in life. Mm-hmm. I think I've also noticed uh, just certainly, and, and it makes sense based on, you know, majority vote, right? I guess uh, that there would be a higher emphasis on uh, romantic relationships and teaching on, on um, dating and marriage and whatnot within Having the church and parenting that kind of stuff and that kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to uh, singleness. But I think what I've really wanted to see and what I'm seeing more and more now, which I'm encouraged by is an advocacy for singleness in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been interesting because over the years I've seen attempts at this, but many churches um, I've, I've seen talk about singleness, but with this undertone of, Yes, but marriage is better. Yes, but this is just for a season. Mm-hmm. Yes, but like lifelong celibacy, celibacy isn't real, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or at least that's the assumption. Yeah, I think that's kind of true both in the church and in the LGBT advocacy, advocacy community that's fairly secular is that like no human being can not have sex. Right. So therefore, um, everyone has to have access to sex. If you're a Christian, yep. therefore, everybody must be married. Yep. And if you're an LGBTQ advocate, therefore celibacy is a abuse of other people. To encourage anybody to be celibate is to abuse them spiritually. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good word for it too, is to abuse them spiritually. That's at least mm-hmm. the thought, right? Um, it seems like people who um, advocate for lifelong celibacy, mm-hmm. um, even if they do it well, and certainly there are, are ways that it's been done poorly and ways that it's been, been done well as right. in every topic. Um, but even for people who do it well, there's this like gut reaction from people that it is a cruel and unusual punishment. Um, when really like, especially for Christians, um, and even for heterosexual Christians, you know, a life of celibacy can be a really fantastic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, we can, we'll talk about later. Um, yeah. but like first Corinthians seven really does support that, that idea, at least to some degree. Yeah. I think one of the difficulties, so I'll, I'll bring this up and you can punt at it if you want, but sure. from, from a pastor, one of the things I struggle with because I got married actually fairly young and um is that one i saw marriages on the decline in the mm-hmm. christian church and in the culture certainly in the culture sure. both its um 
both its involubility relative to divorce, and you obviously experienced this in your own life, right? And so I want to advocate against you having the kind of experience you had when you were a kid. I want to, I want marriages to be healthier. I want them to be more stable and so on, right? Sure. And I also think that marriage is for the welfare and happiness of all mankind in the sense that um, it is the first institution, and God says it's not good for a man to be alone, that there's something... There is a de- there is a deprivation in long term singleness fundamental to the complementarity of the sexes, mm-hmm. and so like in Christian faith, marriage is better than singleness, and singleness is better than marriage. Yeah, right. And so like to be the person out front who's supposed to communicate that both of those things, <laughs> right? Who uh, relative to the culture, I have to be pro marriage, mm-hmm. and then inside the church, I have to be I have to say, and singleness is better too right. which is almost a, which almost doesn't even make sense but it's kind of like singleness is better in some very key ways and marriage is better in some very key ways and people who are single and married know what those are yeah right? P- like moms with like four little kids they know what the benefits they had they were single they do not have now right and but they also know that they have these little kids running around and there's something wholesome about this marriage relationship that they're in even though it's busy and fraught sure does that make sense so Absolutely. that's really tough. Like I get really, I sometimes I get frustrated as a pastor when I hear single people complaining about how like pro marriage I seem to behave, you know, and, sure. and, but at the same time I understand where they're coming from, but I'm also mm-hmm. kind of like, look, I have to do this. Yeah. Cause I live in a culture that treats marriage as transient, unnecessary. Like, right. They've, they don't understand marriage, much less singleness, but they don't right. understand singleness either. It's not like secular culture understands what singleness must should be from a Christian perspective either. Right. And I think that's, that is a really good point because one it's it's difficult to teach both concepts and to advocate for both concepts in a way that doesn't seem contradictory. Yeah. Um, especially on, on a broad scale, right. To, to apply to everyone. I think one thing I've definitely noticed creep into the church and, and seem to at least implicitly play out in the actions of people, um, not necessarily in, in preaching, but so much in people, how people do things is this idea that, um, that marriage is, is for self, right? Is that, um, marriage is really self-fulfillment, self-fulfillment and, and finding love and finding how to give love. And, um, it's certainly, is those things, but it is not in and of itself those things, right? It's it's for something greater. It's it's to represent um, the experience of of Christ in the church, right? It's, it's to to represent even to some degree maybe the Trinity. You could argue, mm-hmm. um, amongst other things. And I think, um, yeah. you know, and, when and we and it's to do the work of sanctification and procreation. Yes, yeah. Which culturally people yeah. don't think of that. Right? That's true, but it's hard work. It is, you know, right? And there's and there's function there's so there's certainly functionality to it, right? Mm-hmm. And very good functionality, right? It's, it's certainly not a bad thing by any means. I think um when we we take these factors into account and don't look at it as a means by which we find our own personal fulfillment and our our joy and our satisfaction in it um ultimately, right? We we do to some degree, but we certainly don't do it necessarily for those purposes. Mm-hmm. Then we can really advocate for singleness and uh, marriage being on the same playing field, right? That these can be both equally viable and good options for a person's life Um, and ways in which we can really build up the kingdom uh, in either direction, whether or not we are uh, actively getting married and inviting people into our homes uh, despite our marriage um, or whether or not we're single and then living uh, externally rather than internally for our own uh, benefit and and, uh, self-advancement. Yeah. Yeah. 
Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, so one of the things that I get, I don't want to say attacked for, because it's probably not being nice enough to my single critics. One of the things I get criticized for, I mean, and I mean that in the general sense, like people say, what you said was not as good as you could have said, right? Oh, sure. Is when I say the benefits of singleness, they're like, oh, you're just basically saying that we're like glorified babysitters, you know, like, mm. or that we can suffer for Jesus or we can volunteer 50% more than the, right? What do you yeah. think the Christ-centered benefits of singleness are? I think, yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think that there why, are... Why would Jesus say it's better? It's better in that blank. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that we can have a different or a more focused focus, I guess, mm -hmm. in life. Um, theoretically, and, and it depends on the person's lifestyle and what they're investing in. But, um, you know, theoretically, we do have more time to give mm -hmm. to the church, to the people around us. Uh, I think, you know, for example, when our, fr our friends or family are in a difficult spot, we have typically a greater ability to just pack up and go and invest in them, right? Uh, we can take a flight and just head out and hang out with those people during difficult times um, if our job allows. Mm -hmm. We can uh, even just drive next door and spend a few hours with our neighbor uh, as opposed to maybe making dinner and making that day's lunch for our kids, et cetera, et cetera. So we do have, I think, greater opportunity in that regard. Mm -hmm. And we are able to, I think, focus more specifically on what are more explicitly spiritual things, um, mm -hmm. which is really, which is really nice. And I've personally really appreciated that about my experience in singleness in that I see a lot of people kind of um, fretting over, you know, whether or not they'll find a significant other or whether or not, you know, this person likes to have met XYZ. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I've, I've heard over plenty of things and I'm not trying to say anything negative yeah. about that at all. But um, I do see a greater capacity with which my life can just be more directly spiritually focused, I think. Mm -hmm. do you, by that, do you mean like you have mental space that is your own? Yes. Or, and that you also can decide how to order your life around things like spiritual disciplines. Like you can have prayer time. Yes. Because you yeah. don't have four kids under six. Yeah, exactly. And you can like, you can wake up and pray because you don't have anything else you have to do when you wake up or yeah. something like that. Yeah, there's certainly much more freedom uh, through which my day can be or ordered. Because right? I think conversely, when you say, what are the worst things about loneliness or one of the worst things about singleness, one of the things I find prolonged singleness, people say is, well, loneliness. Sure. Right. And when I talk to like people with young families, they're like, the lack of loneliness is the worst thing. Like I'm never mm -hmm. by myself. Like I'm never alone. Right. And it's kind of like, it's, it's, it can be kind of feast or famine. But one of the benefits of being lonely is there you are by yourself with time, mm -hmm. which means you do have time for spiritual endeavors and pursuits. Right. Right. And, and you know, the funny thing about that is the grass is always greener, right? right. So when you're by yourself, you'll probably at some point feel lonely when you're with your family and life seems hectic. You're like, man, I wish I was lonely. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's always a way to look at it and think the other thing is better, but they each have their own pros and cons. Um, do you think part of it is to, I'm assuming that one of the, like one of the benefits is the, is flexibility in relationships to like friendships and so on is like, you can, it seems to me that would also be one of the liabilities is yes. like wherever I've lived since I got married, wherever I lived, I always had at least one good friend. Mm -hmm. you know my, my wife yeah. was always there and that wouldn't have been true if i would have just picked up and left and gone somewhere i mean they were playing when lex and i have moved many times it's been just us mm -hmm. but i had her and she had me you know and if you, if i picked up and moved as a single person that wasn't true 
Yeah, that's that's, a, that's also a really good point about mm-hmm. being single is that, you know, your your friendships and your relationships are generally more flexible, right? Mm-hmm. You're not making this lifelong commitment to somebody. At the same time, you certainly can make deep commitments. And we, and we uh, single people, really do need deep um, and intimate relationships with people and members mm-hmm. of the church. And so I think that's where this this playing off of each other's uh, pros and cons where single people can serve married people married people can serve single people really comes into play in the yeah. church uh, whereas you know a married person finds a hectic life you know a single person can come in and help cook clean hang out with their kids and just experience family life with a married couple who is willing to invite people into their home and um mm-hmm. you know a single person can invite uh, a married per- married people over into their homes mm-hmm. to give them reprieve to uh, to cook for them. The married mm-hmm. people can um, come over and just kind of rep- reprieve the, lo- the the single person of loneliness, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons to working with each other in our different life situations. Okay, before we get into that a little bit more, are there any cons to prolonged singleness that we can start from as like to say these exist? Mm-hmm. And so that we have those in mind when we talk about the rest of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as there are certainly pros, there are definitely cons. Um, I mean, loneliness is in and of itself a con, which I think, you know, systemically in the church. That and accountability are the ones I hear the most, I think. Yes, I think accountability is big too. Um, as are, like you said before, sanctification. I mean, there's certainly something to be said about um, a marriage relationship, sanctifying a person and making them uh, more selfless yeah. uh, and more... Uh, externally focused i wonder if it's too like like driven by the expectations of others like one of the studies on men in marriage is that when men get married they tend to like fight for better jobs do another degree like the average man in america who gets married over the next three or so years after they get married they double their income oh yeah i didn't know that and i think that makes a lot of sense and it's because they're kind of like well i was just taking care of me Sure. And now it's the other person and we're going to make other persons and oh my gosh, you know, and my wife right. wants to live in the place with the stuff, with the thing. Yeah. And you know, that's what tends to happen with men is they, they like get their butts in gear. They're like, oh gosh, I got to take care of like, cause like for me, I went from being single, taking care of one person, not even totally taking care of myself <laughs> Sure. to now I take, now I have six, like I have like five other dependents. So I have to take care of myself and five other people. Right. And like my wife does a lot of things, but in terms of like bringing home meat and bread like that's on me sure you know and it has been for years and years and years and that's a very different lifestyle mm. than just taking care of myself it is yeah, yeah it's it certainly can be cheaper to also be single <laughs> which can be a pro yeah um, and i think in some cases <laughs> crazy opportunity for generosity sure even financially. absolutely yeah yeah it certainly does allow you to either build wealth or give wealth which is encouraging mm-hmm. um not that, you know, giving wealth to your nuclear family isn't generous in and of itself as well, right? There's a lot to be said about that. Right. And there are limitations, obviously, that like married couples tend to build wealth faster and so on. Like if you're sure. if you're single and you're trying and you have your own house and you, like two people can live as cheaply as one. Sure. Right. So if two people are working in a married family, right? But you can do that if you're single, if you have roommates that you can find, which gets back to things like how do you, how do we through relationships encourage flourishing in single life. And I think one of those things is roommates. Most of the single people I know at high point have at least one roommate. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is definitely a great opportunity to one combat that, that idea of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Right. But then also, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and have compromise. somebody in the house for accountability. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah compromise, sanctification of compromise. Yep. Like, wait, I have to clean. I need to leave the bathroom clean mm-hmm. because I have roommates as opposed to like, I'm just going to make a mess of everything. Sure, right. Exactly, exactly. So um, you, were, you started talking about um, how people in these different sort of vocations as the, as the older church would have called it um, mm-hmm. of singleness and, and being married can sort of uh, cross enrich each other's lives or yeah. be there for each other. Um, you said, you also said a little bit about the liabilities. One of the things you were talking about was when younger people are single and then they find somebody and then they get married and then they quote disappear. They just kind of like, Oh, off they go. They're a new life stage. Sure. And that, that probably isn't great. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I think, you know, um, because you sounded like you were saying it's not just not great for you, their, their friend, mm-hmm. but it's probably not great for them. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's, it's not great for any party involved. Right. Uh, one is, is that when people do find a significant other and then just fall off the face of the earth, the, uh, you know, uh, for dramatic, for, for, uh, for drama, the sense of drama, um, <laughs> they, they are really putting their aids in one basket, right? They're, failing to build the relationships around them that can really also sanctify them, right? Mm-hmm. And these relationships around them and this external sanctification but beyond just the nuclear family really helps prevent um, and re- or just reduce the risk of idolatry of your significant other, of just going to them for all of their needs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no person can really be everything for another person. Right. Yeah. Even as a significant other. And that's what you mean by all your eggs in one basket. It's not yeah. like, it's not like, well, you're betting on your marriage too much. Right. It's not that. No, you're betting on your marriage. Your marriage just needs to make it. But what you're saying is you put all your need eggs in one basket so that we are yeah. like, you're expecting this one person to fill all your needs. And that's probably not a great view of male, female complementarity, right? Sure. If you're a man thinking your wife can fulfill all your needs is probably wrong. And if you're a woman, you think your husband can fulfill all your needs. That's probably wrong. Mm-hmm. And so having other friendships is pretty helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, to, to, to reach out and, and basically make friends of, especially the same gender, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are just different viewpoints and just different things that like ideas could bounce off of them and like lifestyles that you can experience. And also, I mean, it expands your, 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 your thoughts and your boundaries, right. You're not just yeah. kind of focused on yourself and building your your small kingdom right mm-hmm. in your in your suburban household with the white picket fence you know doing the american dream thing mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's worth noting that the the idea of the nuclear family that is mom and dad and constituent children is a pretty new concept mm-hmm. in human life that um for most of american history much less world history families were larger than that Mm-hmm. And so people grew up around aunts and uncles and so on, even in, in like, um, like white, white, like Anglo-Saxon, British, German culture. Sometimes you'd have only one or two kids and not a lot of siblings around, but in like other cultures, like Irish and Italian, so often you might have five or six aunts on the same street, depending on where you grew up. And so that those dynamics are really important for kids. Like even kids who don't like, you know, a young man growing up who doesn't really connect with his dad. If he connects with two of his uncles who he sees at least like every other week, like that makes a huge difference for that boy, you know? Yeah. And I think that as Americans have gotten more educated and they've moved for the jobs and they've broken up these relational structures within cities and towns of like your family being nearby, um, it like, it's really impoverished us 
Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's one of the reasons why we've got more divorces and why dads and moms are more stressed out. Yeah. Um, is, is, and so ch- churches in theory are the place where you can find some of that, but only if you participate in it. Sure. You know, and so therefore you have to interact with the, your church like an Italian family would have acted, interacted with its aunts and uncles, which is both being around, mm-hmm. allowing them to be themselves, realizing it was going to bring some of their dysfunction into your life because they were just going to be there. Right. Yeah. And accepting them kind of for who they are with some agreement as to how the family runs, you know, mm-hmm. which we have our faith to do that for. So I think that that's, I think it's hard for people. People get really focused on their home life. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's easy to do, right? Because life is busy. You work, you come home, you cook, you clean, you take care of the kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think like I was saying earlier, you know, you can, you can invite people into that. You can invite people into the normalcy in the mundane components of life, um, which we often don't think about because I feel like we, we always think that we need to entertain or host uh, in order to have people be involved, right? Yeah. And you really don't. Uh, you just, just invite people over, uh, single or, or married or dating or engaged mm-hmm. alike, you know? Yeah. What do you think is the difference between the beneficial inclusion of single people in the lives of married people and the condescending and offensive inclusion of single people in the lives of married people? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question too. I mean, because it it can come off both ways depending on how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there has to be a, a genuine involvement and like the genuine friendship there, right? It can't be like a, Oh, we're here to mentor you, you know, or we're here because we know you're lonely, (laughs) you know, or, you know, or otherwise, especially if you're similar, similar ages. Right. 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 I think, you know, if you, I think if you're similar, similar in age, Mm -hmm. that makes the dynamic friendship far easier. Right. And if you're, if you're different in age, then find common ground. Right. Um, just, or like as act act as a family, right. Like Mm -hmm. act as, uh, maybe not parents with their kids, like uh, grandparents with their kids or like aunt and uncle with kids, like be the fun uncle, you know, Mm -hmm. invite people over and like, I don't know, are you like 50 and play video games, play video games together, Mm -hmm. you know, do, do whatever I think, um, it's just natural and, and friendly and inviting. Um, yeah, but don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue to force it by any means. Yeah. Because then it can come off as condescending or, or, um, like, oh, you need us, you know, when that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, what about single people with single people? Yeah. I think that, what are some of the observations you made there? That's that. I mean, yeah, I think obviously that's just kind of a general natural progression of friendship, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do events together, you hang out, single people hang out with single people great uh just kind of natural friendships there and hopefully those last through the development of relationships etc later um i think one thing to point out is that there are a number of events and even i think especially like at least historically church events where they've been joked of as being like the find your spouse event (laughs) um or like the the find your spouse group um whereas really we shouldn't be emphasizing that as a component of our community building events. Uh, is it because, is it because we don't want single people to find each other at church? Is it because that'll happen fine on its own if we just have good events with single people at them? We don't need to make them intentional speed dating apparatus. Right. Apparatuses. So it's, it's not like we don't want people to meet each other and find love. No. Yeah. It's just that that's not the purpose of the event. Right. 
Right. Uh, yeah. And I think that um, for people, especially people of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. who like can't find a significant other if they're, you know, adhering to the uh, biblical standards for marriage, yeah. um, you know, it makes those situations awkward um, right. and it makes them feel dis- uh, disingenuine in that, right. you know, if it feels like if this is an event or a group that hosts events known for um, basically just trying to set people up, then you're like, well, why, one, why would I go? And then two, um, you know, are these people here genuinely to become my friend and to develop community and to build off of each other and, and, you know, iron sharpens iron, or is this basically so you can find a significant other and then like you've done your job, you've achieved your goal and you move on to the next, you know, married group, (laughs) you know? Um, so I think that these events really, ought to be uh, groups for single people and married people and dating people who can uh, really just build a solid community, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about this in relationship to people who experience same-sex attraction as their main, as their main form of attraction, right? So like, how, how do how do men negotiate friendships with same-sex attracted men who aren't same-sex attracted themselves or, or are right. So sure. like those, I mean, those are both relevant, right? At high point, I know several same-sex attracted men who go here sure, and who have the same views you in, ter- in myself in terms of like, what are the Christian standards sexually speaking? Right. And is there anything that like we're supposed to like, what, what does a heterosexual man need to know about his relationship with his with his gay oriented male friend at church mm-hmm. and yeah, let's just leave that question. So like you're, you're a dude at church and you know, this other single guy at church is same sex attracted or in terms of orientation, mm-hmm. is there anything different about your relationship with him because of that or not? I think it depends on the situation and that'll be a partially like a, a person by person thing, you know, sort of like how, um, men to some degree can guard their relationships with, with women yet still have very fantastic friendships with, with women, um, and vice versa. Uh, those who are heterosexual, uh, it can kind of go the same way for men who experience, um, homosexual, uh, or same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certainly limitations to be placed. Um, if, you know, if the need arises, but I think that there's also something to be said about, the need for people who even experience same-sex attraction to have friendships with people of their own gender Mm -hmm. because there are certain likenesses uh despite the same-sex attraction there are uh you know focuses in life just ways of thinking differences in personalities that i think people really benefit from and and build up themselves at each other Mm -hmm. through um, just like there are with intergender relationships so i think it takes wisdom um it takes um appropriate guardian, but I, I wouldn't say that we need to like limit those by any means or prevent them from happening. Right. I, if I remember, so the last time you and I sat down and talked about this, it was a several, a few months, at least a few months ago. Yeah. And I, I, I remember like some situation where you're talking about, you know, sometimes people think that guys that ha- they're same sex attracted basically just want to be friends with women. And mm. that's actually not that helpful for us because we're still men. Yeah. And can you want to riff on that for a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is that stereotype, right, of of mm-hmm. uh, people who experience same-sex attraction who just have a bunch of uh, friends that are like I'll, I'll go from the guys' perspective, friends that are girls, and like you and there's, know, girls seem to. There are some women who seem to love that. Yeah, especially which, if they're used to guys really sexualizing them. Right, having a guy who is 
great and cool and funny and attractive and likes to dance and wants to go out, but isn't going to sexualize them. Mm-hmm. Just sounds great to us. A lot of women, I think. Right. And I think that is great, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think we definitely should, you know, invest in that. And that should definitely be a thing that is a benefit of this. Right. Yeah. Um, and also speaks to other maybe flawed parts of our, our of our culture yeah. um, in, in other ways. But um, I think, yeah, investing in that in that regard is, is fantastic and should, certainly should be a thing. But there's also room for um, same gender relationships yeah. in which like for younger guys, right? Um, I don't know why I keep going to video games, but video games for an example, mm-hmm. or like, you know, there are same sets of drafted guys that like things that guys like, right? So like mm-hmm. some of them like hunting, you know? Yeah. Uh, fishing, hiking, the fixing outdoors, stuff. hiking, fixing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Working on, like working on your cars, like the things that are stereotypical guy things, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not lost on people who are same sets attracted. So I think, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to find a similar hobby and just do that thing together. And there's yeah. nothing weird about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the evangelical authors, I can't think of his name right now. Who's the same sex attracted man he wrote like a really heart-wrenching series of articles. And I think it was part of a book at one point where he, he talked about like the experience of like having guy friends and then being jealous of their wives, like just mm. struggling with that and how sure. like sometimes he had to kind of pull back from a friendship and then kind of come get, come back to it because he had to cope with his feelings towards that person. Mm. Right. And I've, I've, I've experienced this like in relationships with women who are like um, who I'm doing ministry with, but who are my wife. Sure. Where like my feelings for them like kind of get a little wonky, mm-hmm. they get a little too attached, and I'm like, ah, oh, that's not good, and I have to kind of pull back from that relationship a little bit until that kind of like reorders itself. Sure. As long as the relationship doesn't get sexualized, then it's just it's wrecked. You know, it's like really hard to reorder that out. Yeah. But I, do you feel like that's? Do you feel like homosexual or heterosexual men should just go like, well, I guess, I, or they just just don't pay attention to that. Just like your same sex attracted friend will work that out himself. And if you're, yeah. if you feel comfortable in your own heterosexuality, then you don't, and you don't feel like you're sexually at risk or anything. Then it's just like, then you can be there all the more. Yeah. Just as it is. That's, you know, that's, that's a really, that's a it's really just a strange question. dynamic to have the same, same right. gender relationship that can be sexually fraught, but only from one direction. Like when sure. I think of the, my relationships that are sexually fraught, they're usually at least potentially from both directions. Mm-hmm. And so I have multiple things going on, but when I, but the male friends that I've had who are same sex attracted, it's a little bit different because I'm like, okay, this relationship could become fraught, but it's not going to not really probably from my side, which also probably means I won't know what's happening. Hmm, fair. And so what do I do? Do I just like just proceed and just let my friend proceed as he f- feels best doing so. And then if he does yeah. something, I don't understand why he's doing it. I just accept it. Yeah. I think that's, that'll get into a lot of potentially, um, gray and uh, person-specific questions, right? Um, But I think that, one, it's difficult for me to speak from that perspective because I I think I operate a little differently than a lot of people who have just like these natural um, attractions to people and that, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I I can't even hardly think of like, I mean, maybe like a couple people I've been quote-unquote attracted to in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, most of the guys I've talked to that have that have same-sex attraction, it tends to be a form of hypersexuality, but do you refer to like your experiences of becoming sort of like an asexuality? Yeah, I probably lean in that direction yeah. more. Um, so it does certainly also color my perspective and mm-hmm. in how I do these things and interact with people because, one, I'm not really afraid of that for myself because I, I don't anticipate 
any feelings developing in that regard mm-hmm. for these people. Uh, so that makes my life easier. Right. <laughs> but for people who, who do have that um, and, and experience that and struggle with that, um, I think one uh, being, you know, depending on the friendship, being open about that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's useful to, if you find yourself in that scenario, um, either one pulling away yourself, right. Yeah. Or um, like talking about that with that person, I don't think is unreasonable as long as you think the other person's going to handle it well, which, you know, if your guys are close friends, theoretically should. Right. Yeah. Um, I think too, also including the significant other in a lot of events and mm-hmm. aiming to not exclude them also yeah. reorients their focus likely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's always this reminder that like, Oh yeah, like this is not, you know, how things are intended to go. Like I am not intended to be with this person in a, in a romantic relationship. You know, this, this other person is involved here, et cetera, et cetera. Then, um, I would, I think that would be beneficial as well. So just keeping them highly involved. Okay. Let me flip it to the positive side. So what sometimes when, when people like me say what everybody needs at church are truly intimate relationships. People are like, that doesn't sound right at all. Or like, that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> right. right. But like, I, I believe that. I believe that that's what children need is like to find intimate relationships. But I don't mean that sexually, right? Like, so right. what do you, how do you think about, or how would you describe, let's, let's start like real simple. How would you describe a meaningfully intimate non-sexual relationship that the church should be all about? Mm-hmm. And that really supports both single people and same-sex attracted single people by their existence. Yeah. I think um, it's it's a friendship that's marked by. Um, let's see. That's that's how do how do how do I phrase this? I think it's it's a friendship marked by whatever is beneficial and upbuilding for each person involved, right? So often this is going to be deep conversation, deep meaningful conversation, especially about God, right? Okay. How does iron sharpen iron in this scenario? Um, I think it's going to be marked by. So intimate means not shallow in that example. Right, exactly. Like not shallow, I think. So it can really get into real stuff and so on. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, You know, situations in which you are able to enjoy each other's company and maybe not feel the need to entertain each other, right? It's a natural relationship. Okay. So you don't have the same like hospitality obligations of acquaintance. Right, exactly. You're past that. You can get in each other's refrigerators. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Um, in some situations, uh, I've heard of people just giving people house keys, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, you are welcome at our house, you know, anytime. Um, yeah. Like, come, come eat our food, make food for us, bring food over, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so, like, in action, actions of trust, obviously, right? It would yeah. be involved in that. That would also, like, you, you know, I don't want to leave the stereotype, like, that single people are good for watching your kids. But, like, if you go out of town for a weekend and you ask somebody to watch your kids for the weekend, that's a lot of trust, too. That is. And that mm-hmm. person may be like, oh, shoot, that's a lot of work. But also, mm-hmm. they're like, it's it's also like, okay, those these people clearly trust me. Yeah. And I think, yeah. uh, at least, you know, for me and my perspective, I, that, that would be very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Right? And that would really mean a lot for our friendship. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that, yeah, actions of trust... Um, standard depth of friendship, right? Like things that you would think of for people you trust, people that you want in your lives, people you want to invest in long term. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the guys I know who's same sex attracted in, in a believer in the church has has gone on, on vacations with like it's, there's like six people going, and two of them are single, 
mm-hmm. and, th- and but they're not interested in each other at all. Mm-hmm. And um, there's two couples, and they go on a hiking thing in Utah or something. And like just to be with their friends like that, they they're willing to go with a couple of couples, and they know that there's going to be some coupley dynamic on there because these people are couples. Mm-hmm. But they're also going to be like driving to national parks and hiking most of the time, and like they're having a vacation together, mm-hmm. right? And that seemed like he, that seemed like this particular guy, like he was like it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Even though he's like, I didn't, I didn't interact with them well the whole time. But it was it was a great thing to get to go and be part of. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that intimate also means like feeling increasingly known for who you actually are. Yes. Yeah. So like I'm talking to you as and not as generic same sex attracted Christian man in his 20s. But like right. more and more and more you're a particular Luke. Mm-hmm. And like your story, your history, how you feel, how you were feeling three months ago versus now. Like all that stuff is like in the conversation because the other person remembers it. Like, right. like you're embedded in their memory as yourself exactly yeah yeah certainly um i think you know there's this what is it it's like a tim teller quote um uh from the meaning of marriage where it's like to be fully known and to be fully loved is basically really good yeah um great paraphrase (laughs) uh but yeah a um you know that is something that most people want you know, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not that's in a romantic relationship or, yeah. or not. Um, certainly only God can truly fully provide that. But yeah. I think that there's something to be said about that kind of investment amongst friends as well as amongst, you know, significant others. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, we, ha- we tend to have some very inhuman kinds of relationships nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know lots of people who are married who are struggling to try to find that in their marriage. Yeah. To really like be listened to and to listen and to really know their spouse and for their spouse not to be like a figure to them, but like a person mm-hmm. is sometimes really hard in marriage and it, it can be hard in friendship. And I think it's especially hard in friendship in really transient places. Certainly. And Madison is kind of like that where you have like, it's not just that you're single. It's that like every, about a third of everybody's moving away every other year and single people are tend to be more transient because mm-hmm. they're just, it's easier to just not free fulfill your lease and to look for, and why can't you just move? You certainly can. And I think sure. sometimes within singles, friend groups, it can be even more transient. And so you find yourself making friends again. So like right, pretty regularly. And that can be really tough. It can be. And I think there is something to be said about, um, you know, do you stay in an area because you have a really fantastic community there? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sort of like I was saying earlier, you know, it can be easy for a single person to just emphasize self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Uh, is mm-hmm. that the word? Yeah. Um, just do what's good for me. Right, exactly. Yeah. And um, there is something to be said about needing to remind single people as well that, you know, sort of like a, uh, a married person in their nuclear family, a single person um, also needs to expand beyond themselves and externalize and, and give of themselves and their time to the people around them. So in a, in a very real and lasting way. I want to ask you, I want to end with a couple of questions about how you've reasoned and believed your way through theologically relative to same sex attraction. But I want to make sure, sh- sure you talk about everything that you thought to talk about here is there sure. anything that you like had said oh i kind of want to say this but we haven't covered honestly i think we've covered quite a lot about what quite a lot of the things that i've i've been thinking on and and 
growing in and developing my understanding in recently. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I think this has been a good conversation. So okay. shoot. So we live in Madison. Madison is obviously a very pro LGBTQ advocacy city. And I say LGBTQ advocacy because I don't think of, I don't think of that as how gay people feel. Like mm-hmm. I'm using gay in the colloquial orientation sense, right? Like sure. most of the people I know who are same sex attracted are a little embarrassed about some of this LGBTQ advocacy stuff out there and how extreme some of it can be. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't conflate those two. Just like I, I'd listen to African American activists talk and I talk to the black people I know and they don't, aren't saying the same things either. Sure. Um, and polls show that those aren't the same things. Right. So I, I don't, but we live in a city where there's a lot of advocacy where people would say, um, this is bad. Like the way you're thinking this through, like people should not handle this the way you're handling it. Mm-hmm. that you that they they've they've so drank in um sigmund freud that like sure. any any rejection of giving an effusive expression to your sexual feelings is bad mm-hmm. and it will be detrimental to your psychology and you th- they'd say like you know you're just lying to yourself you're just gonna end up depressed and you won't know where the depression came from or whatever but but you really should just accept yourself as you are and just like embrace it right like mm-hmm. why have you not gone for that like there's plenty of people who claim to be christians who say they can put the bible together for you in a way that that all can work sure you know and you're like mm, i'm sorry no i'm not even doing doing the christian gay thing i'm i'm like doing the jesus single same sex yeah i this is how i experience myself but i don't i'm not gonna rewrite this like why like why have you taken this route yeah it, i this is the route that i find to be most satisfying um, okay. maybe that's not why I, you know, I'm doing it because I believe it to be in line with what is truth. Right. Okay. Um, but by doing that, I have found my greatest joy and my greatest satisfaction in that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've faltered here and there and, and, you know, gone off the side, um, I very quickly, I uh, just for lack of better words, like lose myself, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or lose uh, a sense of purpose, um, lose a sense of, um, meaning as a Christian mm-hmm. when I make concessions and I see very clearly laid out in the Bible where, you know, it says, you know, a man shouldn't lay down with another man. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it seems to be spelled out so clearly in the Bible to me mm-hmm. that we have to go to lengths to try to explain away, um, this idea that, you know, that man was meant for woman, woman meant for man in terms of romantic, romantic relationships. Yeah. So once truth is established, then it's like, okay, well, this is truth. This is how God intended for things. And if this is true, I have to live in line with that in order to be satisfied, in order to find purpose, and in order to truly live in a way that, one, I'm proud of, uh, and two, that can have positive a positive impact on the world around mm-hmm. me. Uh, so that's, that's, pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much farther I want to push it. Of course, I agree with you. Like, I agree that, like, I mean, the reason why I married Alexi instead of had lots of girlfriends mm-hmm. and fathered children through who knows how many women and just did whatever the heck I wanted mm-hmm. uh, is because of that same, is that same reason. Sure. But I think sometimes LGBTQ advocates would say, yeah, but even within Christianity, marriage is a cure for concupiscence. That, like, you don't actually have to be godly. You can just have sex with your spouse. Right. So you can have an uncontrolled sexuality to a certain extent, as long as you can satisfy it with a spouse. Right. Whereas what you're asking gay people to do is to just not be satisfied 
sexually in that way. Sure. Right. And like the average LGBTQ advocate who's sharp at all would say something like, yeah, look, but the pro- the whole problem is, is that, yeah, you would have to let go of your religious self, but they would, they might say your religious false self mm, to find sure. your true self. Why do you think your religious self, like the one that believes that you were made in God's image and that Jesus is that image embodied and being like him is your true self mm-hmm. as opposed to following your internal inclinations toward anything, but especially your sexuality. Why isn't that your true self? Like, why do you believe that this like, almost an abstraction that like this Jesus out there, mm-hmm. he's being more like him as the true self rather than moving towards your internal feelings being finding your true self. Like, why do you think about the world that way? Like I yeah. see, I totally agree. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to suppose for listeners to kind of like hear how you feel or how you thought it through. Sure. That means, a, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, I think one thing to be said uh, before getting into, I guess a full answer to that question is, um, you know, I think in my perspective, I, I advocate for the idea that singleness is a, a very valid uh, and equally good option, even for heterosexual people who would maybe prefer a spouse, but may yeah. be called a singleness, right? Yeah. And I think if we as a church and if we as a, a, a people group, um, as Christians, uh, don't advocate that singleness is in and of itself a good thing, yeah. um, if we don't do that, even for heterosexuals and say that, you know, to deny your heterosexuality would be to be uh, cruel or to deny yourself, uh, then we really have no right to say that for, uh, homosexuals or the LGBTQ community. Right. So, um, while, you know, for heterosexuals, there is the option at least to pursue a sexual relationship or a romantic relationship. Whereas biblically speaking, biblically speaking, there's not for a homosexual relationship. Um, mm-hmm. we have to advocate for the ability for singleness and for the goodness of singleness for either group of people. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one that's, that's vital for being credible as a Christian when you're talking about these things. And if you don't get that right, you end up idol- creating an idolatry out of sex. Yes. And you end up saying like, like a little kid can't even know who they are as a person unless they define their sexuality. And, right. and then you're like, no wait, you're actually abusing that child. They're not supposed to have to think about that yet. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be able to be a little boy or a little girl without having to know what that means. Yeah. Until they like hit puberty and then they have to grapple with it. Right. And I think that I think the idolatry of sex has not only made us promiscuous and harm each other that way, but has also made the expression of sex a way bigger deal than it needs to be in who we are. That's real. There's there does seem to be this idea that sex and romantic relationships, one, are like the peak of human existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two um, really define what it means to be human. Um, and I would argue that that's not the case. And whilst making them infertile. Right. Which is, to right. me, it's like, if you could just step back and be an alien for a second and say, okay, you have this race of creatures who have a neurologically pleasing procreative act. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of several decades, they find a way to make the act completely infertile and yet make it the be-all, end-all of the existence of their species. Right. So they take away the purpose, what are the main functional purposes of the event, mm-hmm. and then make it everything. Like, it's right. just ridiculous. Right. And yet, to the average, like, Joe Blow out there in the culture, that is like a, a like a axiomatic absolute truth that couldn't be questioned. Right. And, you're, and the only way that I know of to utterly shock somebody is to present them with a single celibate human being in their sexual prime mm-hmm. who's happy. Right. And that, it's you know, just so yeah. shocking. 
Yeah. And it's, it's funny because, you know, when I do tell people that, uh, I, you know, I've decided not to pursue sexual relationships or romantic, romantic relationships, it, it blows their mind. <laughs> and it, it, one, uh, I'm really, I'm really blessed in a lot of ways because it's very easy to lead into the gospel. Uh, so I've, I've certainly been able to, to evangelize in that way, which has been awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think it does, it does boil down to like, what is all of this for? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it for us? Is it for our own pleasure? Is it for, um, you know, us to fulfill our idols in that hole that we're trying to fill constantly with all of the idols that we have in this life, this just being one of the most pleasurable, um, or is it for something greater? One of the, one of the possible benefits I think you could argue is that it can make you a deeper person because if like, I think sex can be a very deep experience if it's, if it is put together comprehensively with everything else in a relationship, right? But sex pursued as mere sex is a pretty sensualist kind of behavior, which is like, just like, please myself through, through my neurology and my hormones. Right. Right. Which doesn't make you more human as mm-hmm. in distinct from the animals. Right. And so I wonder if sometimes one of the advantages that you can point to is you can say, one of the reasons why this is making me more myself rather than less myself is because by turning away from direct sexual gratification, it's actually forcing me to pursue human pleasures that are more abstract, that are wider, that are more spiritual, that are more like, that have to be pursued through these like higher, more complex human faculties. And so I'm, I'm being drawn to these pleasures that make me in a sense more, not just an animal. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, a, it's leading me to a greater experience of my humanity by walking away from sex, which is similar to what a man, monastic might've thought in 436 AD. Right. You know, but just as true. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that fully. Um, you know, it's funny because, just recently, um, and, you know, for better, or for worse, I've started to perceive, um, a, a number of relationships, not of people that I know per se, but just of the stereotypes of relationships as more of like a predator prey type thing, mm-hmm. right. Where people are, um, you know, out prowling around trying to find their significant other yeah. and they find it, they catch it, they move on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's not intended to be like that, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's not intended to be an animalistic uh, self-serving thing. It's intended right. to be something with depth, uh, something right. that is functional and, and for uh, a purpose beyond ourselves. And you could argue that both marriage and celibacy both accomplish that. Yeah. Because if you have to marry the person you have sex with, they can't just be your prey. Right. 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 They have to be your intimate lifelong companion that you are comprehensively bound to. Too. Right. And if you can't have sex with somebody you're not going to marry, they can't mm-hmm. be your prey. Yeah. Right. They have to exist on a higher plane in your eyes. Right. Exactly. All right, so uh, any last words? We're at the end. No, I, but thank you for having me. This has been, it's been great, to, great to talk about this. I hope this is helpful for people who are either struggling with singleness or who are, are you know, married and or engaged or dating and want to kind of expand their, their viewpoints and their, their sphere of influence. So yeah. yeah, it's been great to talk about. Yeah, for those of you listening, whether you're small group leaders or pastors or um, early people in church, I just want you to, one, people like Luke exist in your church. I mean, just all over the map. And the last thing we want to do is to take somebody like Luke who has chosen to receive the the um, the difficulties of following Christ entirely and to make those harder. We don't want to make those harder. Where The church exists to make things easier, just like a spouse is supposed to make things easier for their spouse, not harder. Um, we as the church want to make things easier for everybody at the church. And at the same time, we want to point to people like Luke and say, you're a hero. Right. I think that too long in the church, we've said, look, if you're same sex attracted, you're especially broken in some way. 
all of our sexualities are broken. None of us have unbroken sexualities or personalities or humanities. And when somebody um, faces predominant same-sex attraction and says, I'm going to obey God as much as I can possibly obey him so that I can know him as much as I can possibly know him, even if there is no easy remedy for the thing I wish could be like a anesthetic to this, I think we need to look at our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters who choose that and tell them that they're our heroes, that we are so impressed and that they're teaching us stuff about our own sexuality. Because I think heterosexual um, married Christian couples can idol- can make an idol out of sex and sexual pleasure as well. So um, I think that's super important. And I think the church needs to um, grow in its embrace of because my preaching as a heterosexual married man relative to LGBTQ questions is not going to carry as much weight as Luke's. And so making space for him and affirming him and making his choice um, placed within a context of happiness within the church and the family of the church is super important. So wherever you go, wherever you go to church, wherever you lead, however you do things, um, let's grow in our hospitality towards single people of all kinds in the church, recognizing that being single is better as well as being married is better. And we have to be able to say both things at the same time. So thanks for listening. Hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. And uh, hopefully we'll get to hear from you again, Luke. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like those. We hope this episode is helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thank you for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.